recording sessions on the new album were not going well. They were in uncharted territory. The band were bashing out nearly a song a day, and were gifted a budget of $40,000 to get the album done. That was four times what their last album had cost. And then there was the producer. 4AD Records had assigned producer Gil Norton to oversee the recording of the album, hoping to avoid the same pitfalls that hampered the band's last album, Surfer Rosa, which was critically successful, but commercially disappointing. Norton's suggestions were not always welcome. He kept telling the band they needed more verses on their songs, their songs needed more of a hook, and most importantly, all the songs were too damn short. Can we make the songs longer? How do we feel about making the songs longer? Let's make the songs longer. Eventually, lead singer Black Francis took Norton to a record store, where he handed him a copy of Buddy Holly's greatest hits. He pointed out most of the songs were about two minutes long. He told Norton, if it's good enough for Buddy Holly, it's good enough for us. In a Rolling Stone interview, lead singer Black Francis later recalled, this record is Gil Norton trying to make us, shall I say, commercial, and us trying to remain somewhat grungy. As it turned out, they didn't have to worry about trying to sound like commercial music, because for the next decade, commercial music was going to try sound like them. Doolittle by Pixies is consistently noted as one of the best albums of the 1980s and one of the best alternative rock records of all time. It's been certified platinum in the United States, selling over a million copies worldwide and influencing countless bands around the planet with their dynamic, idiosyncratic style. Which is why it's not really a shock that no one bought Barry Manilow's 13th studio album, which until very recently failed to chart at all and sold, at best, 60,000 copies. Why did the Pixies influence so many people? How much creative power can an artist have after 13 albums? And what is Barry Manilow's connection to Middle Earth? We're going to find out. Welcome to When Albums Collide. Albums Collide. I'm your host, Judd Boaz, joined as ever by my co-host, Pedro Duran. Pedro, how are things? Judd, everything is good. I am fine. We are uh, unfortunately back on lockdown in <laughs> Melbourne again. I mean, I don't know what's going on. It's like, it's a roller coaster of um, lockdowns and freedom. And um, it, is, um, it is ridiculous at this point, I think. You know, I'm just looking back. We've done dozens and dozens of episodes. How many episodes have you opened saying that exact sentence we're back in lockdown i know right it's like we're back on lockdown and here we go and yeah it is crazy because it's just like all right we'll get out well it's it's like um um a classic um uh chump thumping song i get locked down again i get up again i'm never gonna get me down like get locked down and so forth and so forth. I've been like the whole week. I've been um, uh, writing my own uh, covers of songs and incorporating <laughs> lockdown. So that's one of them. I get locked down. I get up again. And they're going to keep me down. And then because what right now is July, we got more lockdowns coming. So I was thinking like we're getting ready for Christmas. It's beginning to look a lot like lockdown. All the stores are closed. <laughs> what a what a what a wonderful ride. Head to your local Tower Records for Pedro Duran does the hits lockdown style. I can't yes. wait to pick up that double EP. 
if you haven't listened to the show before, we, Pedro and myself, are big music fans, and each week, <laughs> couldn't even say that with a straight face, you know, every time we release an episode, we compare two albums that came out at the same time. One of them quite good, and one of them, eh, had less reviews uh, that were favorable. Today, we'll be covering the Pixies' Doolittle, or just Pixies, I think they're called, mm. and Barry Manilow's self-titled album, but it's actually like his fourth self-titled album. Yeah. These albums came out uh, April and May 1989. Pedro, as I always ask, what do you know about Pixies, and what do you know about Barry Manilow? The first time I've heard of the Pixies was uh, during the final scene of uh, David Fincher's Fight Club. I, I really shouldn't be talking about it because I am breaking the first rule of Fight Club. But um, <laughs> at, at the final scene um, where Ed Norton blows up all the buildings, the song Where's My Mind begins to play and continues over the credits. And um, that was the first time I ever heard the Pixies because I think somebody brought it up to me and was like, oh, the Pixie songs at the end. And I was like, oh, OK, yeah, cool. And I've just always known they were a band, you know, a very influential band, which is necessary to say. And it's funny because I think that use of the song in that in that movie wasn't didn't make the band just so um, conscious to myself. Apparently, um, the song became so popular that in 2004, NASA started using the song basically as an alarm clock to wake up the astronauts that were working on the Mars rover um, when they were doing their thing up there. And um, and then just going through, you know, notes and stuff, uh, the barometer of popularity, of course, Triple J uh, in 2009 did a, a music poll and, and it came to the conclusion that um, that song, Where's My Mind, is um, one of the, the hottest songs of all time so i thought that was uh super interesting what about barry well with barry um it's it's funny like i think we were talking about it earlier in the week barry manilow was just like a name you always heard like you always knew he was a singer and a star or some sort but i really didn't know um like who he was i didn't know any songs from him so i had to i was here at home and i just said alexa Oh, she's going to go off now. Fuck. <laughs> Alexa, play Barry Manilow. So I basically asked uh, 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 Siri, I was like, hey, play some Barry Manilow. And the first song that came on was Mandy. And I didn't even, I've heard Mandy a bunch of times. So I didn't know it was Barry Manilow. And, um, and, and then I just thought about it a little bit more. I know Mandy because of uh, the Simpsons episode titled The Last Temptation of Homer, where Homer falls in love with um, an attractive co-worker named Mindy. And then there's um, a bit in the show where he's singing uh, about Mindy in the style of Mandy. Splicey, splicey. Oh, Mindy, you came and you gave without flaking. But I sent you Ben Gay, oh, Andy. You kissed me and stopped me from something, and I. Uh-oh. And that's that's basically how I became familiar with with Barry Manilow and his music. So for myself, I'm I'm the same in terms of Barry Manilow, where he's a pop culture figure, and we actually did a an artist that's very similar, I think, in terms of cultural standing, in terms of input. Barbara Streisand. Exactly. Yeah. Is Barry Manilow the male Barbara Streisand? I think so. There's a lot of similarities, yeah. The genre he's linked to is called easy listening, I believe. Mm -hmm. But I assure you, if you're listening to this podcast, nothing could be more difficult than listening to Barry Manilow. That is my thing. 
this particular album, Barry Manilow's self-titled album, and by the way, I hate, hate, hate when they keep naming their own albums after themselves. Like, he mm-hmm. has several self-titled albums. Don't do that. Just come up with a Just call it after one of the songs. Is that so difficult? Anyway, so this particular one that we're talking about, Barry Manilow came out May 2nd, 1989 on Arista Records. Easy listening, quote unquote. It came with a sticker on the front cover if you bought the record. The sticker read, Take the Manilow Challenge. Play this record alongside any current album by any contemporary pop artist of today and see if, song by song, this one doesn't become your favorite album in years. Hmm. Now that is quite the challenge. Pedro, what do you say? Why don't we take the Barry Manilow challenge and put it up against <laughs> Doolittle by the Pixies? Okay, yeah, happy to. I remember getting into the, into Pixies mainly because it was right around the time when I got a broadband internet connection. So downloading music became much, much easier for me. And so as a teenager that was into music, I'm like, oh, well, you know, why don't I just listen to the best albums of all time? Just listen to the best albums of all time. And Doolittle constantly was just on these charts on, you know, like Pitchfork and Stereo Gum and all these other weird, wanky hipster blogs in the late 2000s. So I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. sure, I'll, I'll give Doolittle a go. And lo and behold, I enjoyed it. It was. It turns out it's a pretty good alternative rock record. Mm. Yet to find out why. How about we delve into the albums and have a look track by track? All right, let's do it. Pedro, the very, very bonkers Barry Manilow, on his self-titled Barry Manilow, starts things off with please don't be scared what do you got yeah um man um you just (laughs) what can you say you turn this on it's like oh it's this type of music it is very middle of the road it is very uh i mean to say call it like easy listening it's not i mean i guess you can call it that but it's it's very i i just it was like very like white bread plain jane type of music and i go through it the album and i i didn't get the sense this dude has like much vocal range or anything it seems like he's just it's like karaoke throughout the whole album and this brother has no rhythm no rhyme he has no range dynamically in terms of his vocals he is so flat across everything i couldn't believe he's made a career out of being so flat yeah it is crazy. I mean, but there has to be a group of people that like that type of music, right? I mean, because it's just it's 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 just like one tone the whole way, and even the lyrics itself, they're not that deep at all. And sometimes they are nonsensical. Like even in the song, he goes on, he goes, like he mentions that he's lived out centuries, and I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> like years, you can say years. I lived out years and experience, but he goes, I lived out centuries and. Thus, that's why he has so much wisdom. Yeah, it, it was it is um, phenomenal that yeah this dude has a career off of that. <laughs> now, to his to I guess his benefit is this is really the first album where Barry took his hands off the wheel and for some reason decided to not compose a lot of the music on the album, which was rare for him because previously he'd been composing all the music and not write the lyrics. If anything, I got to say, Barry Manilow, your strengths are composing and writing lyrics. It's not singing. I don't think anyone's buying his records like Copacabana or anything for his singing ability. It's mm. more that it's like a fun composition. So the fact that he decided to focus just on his performance 
is a dire warning for the rest of the album for me. Yeah, it's really crazy. Um, and he's got people on too, but it's not doing any benefits to him. People are along for the ride, but like there's this build up, and I'm like, usually what, when we listen to this kind of music, this ballady music, and it's a lot of ballads, which we all know how I feel about ballads, but you know, like Whitney Houston or, or Tom Jones or someone like that. You you feel the big like build up, and I'm like, yeah. yes, all right, here we go. Barry, like Barry's gonna get Barry's famous, he, so he's definitely gonna drop it on me. The big drop comes, and it's like a drum beat. That's it. Yeah, like there's no explosion of emotion. There's no yeah 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 uh, eruption like of vocal power. No, no, like and it's what I wanted. Houston or something like that. And there are people contemporaries of his that did it. He just can't do it or won't yeah. do it. And I don't know which is worse. It made me consider like how out of place and time Barry Manilow is, even by 1989, which was, what, 32 years ago? He had his heyday in the 70s, maybe the early 80s, but by 1989, he's this 46-year-old crooner trying to make it work. All right, now let's ignore Pixies, because obviously that's a wildly different jump. Um, and even on the on the sticker on the front of the album, he says, compare it against any contemporary pop artist right now and listen to it track by track, listen to it side by side and see if it hold, it doesn't hold up. Well, Madonna released the album Like a Prayer two months before this. Mm-hmm. That is what pop sounds like in 1989. It, she's right. down on her knees, Like a Prayer. Thematically, melodically, instrumentally, vocally, blows this shit out of the water. Yeah. And I'm not even counting Pixies. That, that would be unfair. Just mm-hmm. to Madonna. We, let's go to Pixies. The opening track is Debaser. I listened to these tracks back to back, first up, and it just immediately flushed the nonsense out of my ears, like yeah. uh, Debaser, Pedro. I mean, it definitely starts off with a lot more energy than Manil's album, for sure. Black Francis, his, his vocal performance lends itself to a live show, I would guess, just just from the sound of it. I was listening to it at home, and uh, yeah, I was digging it, and I thought it would be you know, uh, amazing to just to watch him live, just especially if, the, if that was the first... Um, that was the opening opening song, you know. Yeah, it's loud, it's distorted, it's a cacophony of of of, of sounds. It has like a bouncy bassline, and um, and and then Francis is doing his uh quiet, but then half screaming delivery. So um, I think it's uh indicative of what you're gonna get when the rest of the album. I think it sounds still quite modern, which is, which yeah. is nice. All the lyrics are sort of nonsense lyrics about um the Bunuel film Unchien Andalus, the one where the chick gets her eyeball sliced open with a razor blade yeah 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 have you ever have you ever taken a film no that class? actually gives me the heebie-jeebies and i'm too scared to watch it yeah well the thing is i i've i, I minored in film and every film class i had whether it be like this film class or intro or something like that they always show that movie and the first time you watch it like because you don't know what you're getting into so like i think the film professor is always like oh check this out and then they show it to you and you're like yo what the fuck do we just watch and then they explain that it's like basically um a goat's eye that they cut up but the the lesson is that it's uh, a lesson in editing like the way they edit it makes it really jarring and and, and um and so it's like considered like one of the best shots ever in film history yeah especially because it's like the 1920s so it's a little bit it's a little bit janky too which actually helps the editing right so it's like right this dude holds a razor blade up to a woman's eye and then it like flash cuts to a sheep's eye getting slid open and it yeah, works yeah exactly um, it's funny that you said this. This sounds. Uh, this song still sounds modern, and and I agree with you because I was listening to it and I was like, 
oh wow i really like this jack white song <laughs> i definitely can tell where jack white is influenced a couple things i really like about this song is i'm a big sucker for like male and female vocals like uh-huh. going over the top of each other so kim deal the bassist she only sings like one word debaser throughout the whole song but it just adds so much like more than the sum of its parts the way she's yes. singing over the top it adds that vocal texture and i honestly i think she's my low-key mvp for the album because every time she does that i was like oh like she she is definitely adding something for sure you know what i mean it's it's not like it's not much but the the bit that she puts in is um is definitely a uh, uh, quality over quantity especially because the uh black francis's vocals like so raw in this song like he's screaming to baser and she just comes over the top with like a 1950s doo-wop debaser it really works and i also love the intro of this song you have the just the bass line at the start and then the lead guitar comes in and then the drums and then the rhythm guitar And then the vocals. It's the first track on the album, and each band member is slowly being introduced into the song. I really like that. It's a nice little, cute little detail. Yeah, it's dope. Tell you what isn't dope. Keep each other warm. The next song on Barry Manilow's self-titled album, Come Sail Into My Arms, The Harbor of My Heart. This song, uh, written and arranged by Andy Hill and Peter Sinfeld. Boy, what a shitter. Yeah, I mean, uh, this sounds like a straight-up Disney song, and we'll get into it later as we go through the album um yeah i mean this and then even the next next track once and for all is i mean it's it's like plain jane music you know what i mean it's like what do you got against plain jane it's a lot of plain jane hate you know what i know they're for somebody but just not for me that's all i gotta say about that like uh it's just like it, 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 it appeals to somebody but this is like uh just drinking warm room temperature milk right before bed <laughs> it's just uh um it's 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 got no flavor at all um it's very interesting i think you used you actually used the term a little bit a, a few minutes ago of middle of the road music which i i don't know i guess what it means is it's safe like you're not too close to the edge yeah you're not close to the edge it's middle of the road and it, like it, it's trying to appeal to like a lot of people but at the same like yeah at the same time there's nothing to it. It's not dangerous. It's just on cruise control the whole 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 way. So I read, and I I cannot for the life of me remember the the newspaper I pulled this quote from. But he was interviewed maybe uh, in October of '89. So what's that? Maybe uh, five months after this album came out, uh-huh. and it met with mild success, a, a, a lukewarm applause. So I think he was he was interviewed by like the LA Times or something, and he said, "quote I'll stand behind what I've done, and I still do." I mean, trends change, things come and go. Today it's rap, tomorrow it's something else. Uh, no, Barry, it's still rap. In 2021, yeah. <laughs> it's still very much rap. Yes. And your kind of music is extinct. So you were wrong. It's not just that. I think it's, in addition to being very safe thematically and musically, his range is so flat. It is the middlest of the middle of the road, right? It's the safest of the safe. Yeah, it's not like he's belting out anything. It's like 
you know, like singers who do ballads, like Michael Bolton, who's kind of like popping off, just about to pop off. Like he really lets it out. You know, mm. you think a song like When a Man Loves a Woman. But then I think about maybe someone who isn't vocally strong. I'm thinking of Brian Adams. I don't think he has a really he doesn't he doesn't belt him out. But his he gives it he gives it sauce though. Like he Brian Adams is trying. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm saying, like it just has a flavor into the music. Whereas this is just it's really like I said, just singing off a teleprompter and just going with it. Tame the next song on Pixie's album, Tame, is a perfect comparison to this, right? Because, by the way, all the tracks on Doolittle, the Pixies album, very short. Tame is a minute and 56 seconds long, which reminds me a lot of uh, you go to, like, punk shows, and they're just super compressed, and they're just, like, a minute 30 of each song just, like, shredded out, and they're playing it double time, and you get, like, 20 songs in one block, and, and it just goes. You don't know sort of what's happened. Right. Very similar to this. So, a minute 56 in Tame. And I think this is very characteristic of Pixies, where you've mm. got this one idea blasted forward, but you have Black Francis like whispering the verses. It's so quiet. And mm. then he screams the chorus. It comes at you so loud. So the dynamic range of this album is crazy. It's not easy listening. It's like quiet, mm. quiet, quiet, loud, quiet, 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 loud. This song was apparently about uh, where he lived in his neighborhood in Boston, and it was about the college girls that he found obnoxious and it was drunk college kids walking around that he found really obnoxious at the time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, the quiet, quiet, loud dynamic thing, that's like what he's known for, right? That kind of like put him on on, uh, on the map. That's like a signature signature thing. Nirvana even came out and said, we are guilty of robbing the pixies. Like, people are going to say we ripped off the pixies on Smells Like Teen Spirit because we just took this idea and put it on our grunge album. Exactly. I, I, when I listened to it, I was like, yeah, I can hear how Kurt Cobain was influenced by this especially in a song like um smells like teen spirit um yeah uh, that that quiet guitar strumming in the beginning to like mm. it's something off and never mind differential in dynamics in terms of volume and vocals but in terms of style too because wave of mutilation on pixie's album is a very poppy song that is just about like it's about el nino and weather patterns and water or something but it sounds so different to tame which is this harsh punk song and then you have wave of mutilation which is very soothing vocals over the mm-hmm. top yeah i like this one probably the most out of the first three i will mean, compare it to the first two albums uh, f- excuse me first two tracks now this is the first time i listened to this album you know what i mean so i didn't know what to expect and when i listened to our first two tracks i'm like okay uh, i read them as like they're very experimental right uh, of the first listen. So when I'm listening to Wave of Mutilation, I felt this was a little more, uh, I guess, traditional in like a quote-unquote regular pop song or anything like that. I mean, there's other songs as we go on that get really pop. <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely, I was definitely feeling this one for sure. Yeah, it's funny with the the pop thing. It's the way he writes his music, he found it difficult to like, he has all these big ideas. He's obviously one of those quote unquote deep thinkers. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. And so he has all these like ideas, not to the extent that like fucking Muse did when we reviewed them and they had writing some philosophical treatise, but he has all these ideas and then he has to sort of get them down into this little punk song that uses maybe 16 words total in the entire song. So I think that's like the challenge in trying to configure it. 
Whereas, you know, Barry is being as verbose as possible. He's just singing about the same thing. Like, oh, I love you. Come into my arms. I miss yeah, you. I miss you. And I forgot to do this. And So, like, the following song on Doolittle, I Bleed, uh, it's, it's apparently an archaeological song about European conquest, the Indian peoples of the Southwest, specifically Arizona, where he studied in college, and bones and teeth and footprints and all that stuff. And he has all these big ideas, but then you try boil it down to a little pop ditty and a handful of words and it, it doesn't really work. He said that, like, he said, like, you end up with this highly abstracted thing, which is fine. I, at least he he's aware that, like, you can't take all these concepts and then write these kind of songs that use four words, you know? Yeah, and it's interesting because I was going through and, and, you know, it's... And let me know what you think. Never mind. We did an episode on Nevermind. But Nevermind has this type of style the quiet the loud dynamic right is innovative because of this grunge sound and the music that's and the musicality of it but what they did is put pop elements to it to put a lot of harmony and stuff but with that said would you say about the subject matter is there really much subject matter to it because even like a song like teen spirit is almost nonsensical i think even campaign was like you know i just it's it's not supposed to make sense even other songs on that album they don't get as I don't want to say deep, but like as abstract or complex and talking about these kind of issues like this album is doing. I think a lot of artists and Cobain was one of them. because I think we discussed it in that episode where he was like, oh, I make fun of journalists who try to interpret my lyrics because they're wrong. Like they're just nonsense. And Black Francis, he's obviously just writing this for himself. Like these are things that he's interested in. And if it sounds good, great. And a lot of artists are like that. I know like Glenn Danzig writes, he just writes stuff like that for himself. He doesn't care what other people think. And then it gets released as music. So I think it's, yeah, yeah, very similar, like in terms of the attitude of grunge and Nirvana. It's like, we're writing these songs for ourselves and it just so happens other people like them. Right. Uh, whereas Barry is definitely hiring people to write songs to sell and appeal to as many people as possible. Yeah. I was shocked on the next one, The One That Got Away, which was mm. written by Wayne Hammer and Jeff Slater. Of the first four, this is the best track by far. It has a tiny little bit of swing to it. The chorus actually has some backing vocals, which is a new thing. It's usually just him singing. More of this, please, I wanted. I think Barry Manilow may be, at this point in time, uh, May 2nd, 1989, maybe the whitest man on the planet. It is very possible. <laughs> but at least this has, uh, and I don't say that derogatorily, it's a fact that he has no, this brother has no soul. So the fact that the one that got away has a little bit of swing to it, I enjoyed. Well, you know, it's funny because it's another one for me. It was kind of like a throwaway song. It's a song about, even though, I mean, the title says it all, the one that got away, right? But I felt like Mandy does it better because it's the same concept, you know? Oh, Mandy, you gave me, you take me on it. Like, it's the same thing, but I just, yeah, it, I, I, yeah, this for me was like a throwaway track. I think the next song, When the Good Times Come Again, which is supposed to be like an inspirational song. I don't know. I mean, I guess, unfortunately, because I've been listening to this album over and over and over again, this song has been stuck in my head now. Oh, and, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. I'm like, this is this is the hard thing about doing the show sometimes is that uh, we'll, we'll listen to these bad albums and we'll listen to the albums over and over again. And then songs, really bad songs, get stuck in our head. Well, I don't know about you, but they'll get stuck in my head. I got Soldier Boy stuck in my head from like 15 episodes ago. It just really? has not quit. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it's 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 terrible. Yeah, so with this song, it's supposed to be the inspirational song. It's funny that at the time that this album was released, no single off this album reached the Billboard 100. 
Um, but this song, when the good times come again, um, actually hit number 12 on the Billboard Adult Contemporary chart. And last year, because apparently people were feeling it during the coronavirus <laughs> lockdown. How sad is that? It yeah. took a worldwide pandemic for this song to become popular because it was so mopey and saccharine. Yeah, it, it, that, it is crazy. And I was reading like the song's resurrection started because some guy in Israel made a, what, this is crazy, a fan lyric video? Okay. Oh. Any, but my thing is like, if any fan of Barry Manilow is probably not young enough to figure out how to make a lyric video, right? Anyway, he made a lyric, a lyric video with this song and just like the coronavirus, the video spread. <laughs> like and, wildfire. <laughs> yeah, to a variant, the Israeli variant. And, <laughs> yeah, but anyway, Barry Manilow or his management like found this, the, the, the song and then they posted it up on their Facebook page. Yeah, it just started blowing up from there. And all the like, I, I just found this out today. The Fanilows, that's what I, what's what they call Barry Manilow fans. Fanilows started like, you know, boosting it up and it's been, uh, it went back on the charts. Yeah, it's it's a funny song. The lyrics are ridiculous. And this is a, a theme throughout this album. The, the lyrics are just stupid. I mean, in, in this song particularly, he goes, uh, the door you walk out of, is the door you walk back in? I was like, okay, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, oh, that that does make sense, but it's not a uh, deep or, or or meaningful at all, especially compared to um, something like uh, Doolittle, where they're talking about environmentalism and um, surrealism and uh, a number of uh, complex subjects. You mentioned the Fanalos, and I understand that Barry Manilow does have fans. These are just fans. I would wager, this is going to sound mean if you're a fan of Barry Manilow, <laughs> I would wager people that are fans of Barry Manilow are not really fans of music per se. So really any music is fine. And as long as they can sort of, it's a simple tune and they can sing along, it doesn't really matter. They're not really fans of music. They just, you know, oh, I'll put on Barry Manilow, it's fine. Whereas people that are fan of Pixies are like musicians. You linked me a, a video of David Bowie talking about Pixies. What they've done... Uh... Uh, is is change the format for delivering harder rock. Uh, I don't think that format really existed before they, they came along. Somebody, it's a cliche, but somebody once said that um, the Velvet Underground didn't sell many albums, but uh, everybody who bought a Velvet Underground album formed a band. And I would have to uh, suggest that the same thing really applied to the Pixies. You mentioned it with uh, Jack White, right? Yeah. Nevermind, Nirvana, we mentioned that as well. On the song I Bleed, the vocals, I got a very heavy Weezer. I don't know if you got that out of it. Okay, yeah. Of like Rivers Como. He took a lot of inspiration with the tone of the vocals, very similar to Weezer. Think. I mean, we know Pixies have been in, have influenced all these people. Oh my God! Who has Barry Manilow influenced, Pedro? Oh, I don't know, man. That's a good one. I don't know. I like the first thing I can think of. I was like maybe Michael Bublé or something like that. Or like yeah, but like even then, like Michael Bublé, I thought I think you know he's more of like a lounge lizard type. Yeah. Maybe more. He's like more into Sinatra, maybe that sort of thing, or yeah. Dean Martin. I don't think he, I don't think Barry Manilow influenced Michael Bublé. 
Yikes. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's an, in, it's an interesting thing. Cause I was doing what was going through like, you know, videos and interviews with him and I was finding all these videos. There wasn't a clip I saw with the Oprah Winfrey show. They were, they brought these two ladies that were big Manilow fans and the, it was like a, a, like a surprise. They were like, Oh, you're just going to go on the uh, Oprah show and talk something and or do, doing a makeover or whatever. And then during their makeover, Manilow pops out in the corner and they like basically shit themselves. Sisters-in-law Jennifer and Michelle say they know that they are Barry Manilow's most loyal fans. These college buddies bonded over their love of Barry. Barry was even part of Jennifer's wedding. We sent Jennifer and Michelle to a beauty salon for what they thought was an Oprah show makeover. What they didn't know was that a living legend was in the neighborhood. You look beautiful. Oh my you, God. Look, you look oh my so God. beautiful. Oh my God. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Which one are you? I'm Jennifer. I'm Jennifer. I'm Michelle. And I'm just like, okay, yeah. Like these are like he's for whatever reason he's like mad big and stuff. And then like. I was watching Rosie O'Donnell. Remember when she had a show? Like she would always talk about Barry Manilow coming on and stuff. I mean, really? Yeah. Oh God, it was like, but, and then it's the same thing. She would always talk about Barbara Streisand too. So I think maybe it's that Venn diagram. You know, if you, you you're in the middle there. If you're a guy growing up around that era, like you were into Manilow, and then if you were a girl and you were into show tunes and all that, you were like super into Barbara Streisand. Cause I think very much a similar style um, to their music. See, that's the thing. That's the thing I don't get because this is these albums. We're not talking about albums that came out 20 years apart, you know, like an alternative rock album from the eighties and a, and a pop album from 1960. No, these came out like two weeks apart. These two albums, they had all the same materials. They had all the same, like, you know, place and time same technology but they produced so different albums that's what i don't get like mm. so if you're a, if you're a 20 year old at this point in 1989 obviously you're not surely no one is going to choose barry manilow over the pixies surely yeah i mean there had to be like a, a, an older crowd that were in that was into him i guess i mean because <laughs> i don't know i just i it just he probably just like change his career path into more like show tunes and Maybe theater nerds are really into to that style as well. I mean, because I don't think he's theatrical enough. He's not yeah. like Elton John. Elton yeah. John is very theatrical, and he has the ups and downs and the screams and so. Barry does none of that. He has none of that charisma. Hey, any any fan like well, any Manilow fans out there, reach out to us. Yeah, please, us. please. <laughs> We're gonna take a pause for the cause. We'll be back with more on when albums collide. Meanwhile, on Bar Talk. Also, I do want to ask, though, are you secretly a camboy? Am I secretly a camboy? Yeah. Well, if I told you, it wouldn't be secret, would it? Damn it. But I want to know these things, That's for Dan. me to know and you not to find out. This is for me to pimp out. This is what, this is what spreading can, the love is. You think you can add value to this? This hot body. Sure, I can. I'll just dress up in my fancy ass like fur coats and shit. <laughs> Walk around with a big stick and the hat and the glasses. You've got gold chains. You've got a pimp outfit, haven't you? I think I should have some <laughs> lying around somewhere. <laughs> Cannot confirm, go. no deny. <laughs> it's, oh, it's wouldn't be a secret if if I told you now, would it, Daniel? Oh. 
<laughs> Premiering every Thursday morning through AMR Australia, Bar Talk is the hottest music show coming through your headphones. Join me, Daniel, plus a slew of guest co-hosts as we showcase some of the best Aussie, Kiwi and Pacific Islander music coming out today and chat to the artists making that music. Featuring silly segments and that classic AMR banter, this is one show that you don't want to miss. Bar Talk, out every Thursday on australianmusiciansradio.com forward slash bar hyphen talk, shows.acast.com forward slash bar talk, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the program. It's When Albums Collide. We're comparing Pixies' Doolittle and Barry Manilow's self-titled 1989 album came out about two weeks apart in the spring, or in the autumn, depending on which hemisphere you're in, of 1989. The next song on Doolittle by Pixies is perhaps probably the most pop song they've ever written. It's Here Comes Your Man. Pedro, what did you think about this song? Um, Yeah, I did like this one. I did like this one a lot. Um, I saw that it was probably the most, um, I don't want to say the most famous, but definitely one that really um, hit the, the, the pop culture zeitgeist. Um, I like the surf guitar sound that they're doing. And Judd, you know me, I'm a sucker for pop music. So um, I was feeling this because it definitely follows like more traditional, you know, verse, chorus, verse, bridge, chorus. Um, my ears were, were, were really digging on onto this one. And it's funny, I, I was going through um, articles and stuff, and Joey Santiago was saying um, that, uh, you know, it's 1989, so the Ar- Arsenio Hall had, like, one of the biggest talk shows at the time, and he asked the band to come on the show, and it was like, oh, yeah, and they say, like, what do you want to hear? And they say, we want you to do Here Comes Your Man. Joey responded, okay, we could do that, but we want to do um, another song. We we'll probably want to do Tame, and then they said, Nah, don't worry about it. <laughs> and they just totally like the re, re uh retract their 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 invitation to come on the show. So tame was too edgy, but here comes. I mean, you can see how different those two sounded, right? Yeah. Um. Did you know that on May seventeenth, nineteen eighty nine, which was fifteen days after Barry Manilow released this album, he made the first of eight appearances as a guest on the Arsenio Hall show. <laughs> really? Yeah. Barry Manilow did. So they turned down Pixies. They're like, uh, no, nah, you want to do Tame? No, nah, let's get Barry on. And he made eight more appearances after. Wow. <laughs> what is going on? This dude, what like. the fuck? How has he scammed his way into a career? Wow. That is crazy. I'll tell you why I like it. I like it because you've got heart. I always believe what you're saying, Arsenio, you know, and I, I, I enjoy watching the show because, uh, because you've got heart. He is that dude. Like, if you just don't want any controversy or anything, just get Barry Manilow and he'll show up at your door and oh, man. sing a bunch of songs and just be plain bread. That tickled me pink. Uh, so we're on to side B on Barry Manilow's album, and the next song is Some Good Things Never Last. And mm. Pedro, I'm going to say it one time, the piano tone on this album yes. is fucking maddening. The Roland synthesizer keyboard bullshit, I don't know what model it is, but it's the same in every song. Ting to ting ting. Every fucking song. Six songs in a row.
fucking drove me up the wall. This song is exa- it's, it opens like almost identically to like four other songs. Yeah, that's right. You mentioned uh, you said that during the week about it. Oh, I think it was today actually. You mentioned it, and then I listened to it, and I was like, yeah, this is what he's talking about because <laughs> it's it particularly it's particularly heavy on this one. I will say for sure. Uh, the keyboards are uh, are obnoxious, um, but I will say it does have one sexy saxophone solo on this song <laughs> which i we haven't heard in a while on, yeah, it's on, been it's on, been a, it's been a bit of a drought of sax solos for when albums collide definitely the, these keyboards are hitting hard on this one so <laughs> yeah it's a it's a lot and it goes into it like with with the next one in another world i mean this song the thing with this song is an example of like how bad the lyrics on this album could be now it's it it's crazy because this song was written by um, uh, a songwriter named Charlie Dore, who co-wrote the the Sheena Easton song "Strut," which was actually uh, a top ten hit on the U.S. charts in, in 1984. Lyrics like "In another world, I can walk away, pretend there was nothing. I wouldn't need you anyway. I wouldn't need you anyway." Uh, it's 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 just really bad really bad uh, it, yeah it's, really bad it's, it's no there's no depth in it there's no uh, lack of better words no stank on it there's like nothing there <laughs> uh, especially with songwriters who obviously can write music they had hits before so it's interesting that um it it doesn't work with this dude Barry Manilow really can commits one of the cardinal sins of when albums collide. And we've listened to over 30 shit albums, Pedro. We don't mind shit albums. I really don't think, like, because we, we have fun with it, but boring albums, we cannot abide. Right. So even Barbara Streisand, we did her recently, her album is middle of the road, but at least she throws a few curveballs out there, right? She has that yeah. weird jewish chanting song at the end That's of the right, album yeah, yeah you know like even uh, a cheryl crow had a few uh, uh weird ones in there or on, on her album but yeah barry has no weird ones he has just That's true so flat and for you know a guy in his mid-40s that's been doing this a while you would think he would want to update his set you would think he would feel the urge shit madonna's killing it right now with you know like a prayer She's doing all this like weird, interesting instrumentation and and themes. You think he would want to push himself? You would think, mm. but he doesn't. He doesn't. I don't. Oh God. No, you're absolutely right. You make a really good point there. Like with the Barbara Streisand um, album, you know, she has that. She did a bunch of covers, and I mean, she brought. And this is another thing. There's no features on this. It's just him the whole time, right? You know, he's not collaborating with anyone. Like with that Barbara Streisand album. It's called Higher Love, right? Um, it's um, she has Celine Dion on there, other acts in there. Even with, even take the Celine Dion album, <laughs> she got Pavarotti on the fucking album. Yeah, but you know she she gets that um, stigma being like same thing, middle row, adult contemporary, whatever, whatever. But she had that. She did it like a that fucking god awful. I thought it was god awful, but that reggae song that she tried to cover, <laughs> like a lady. Don't oh, make no, no. me have to cut that back into this yeah. episode. <laughs> well, apparently some people like it. Unironically. Ah, oh, fuck. What was the other, the other person you mentioned? Cheryl Crow? Yeah, yeah, even she's doing experiments. Yeah, but regardless, what I mean is there's no 
features on it. It's just him, and there's nothing out of the ordinary. Like you would figure, I don't know, maybe you can switch it to like a big band if he wants to do the ballads or just like a, maybe even throwing in like maybe a rocking song, right? Just one, man. I don't yeah. know, anything. Just uh, switch it up. It's all the, it's very much keyboard and and, and, and about lost love and or this and that. And it's just um, like really shit lyrics. And so this is, this is what I'll say. through it. Yeah, this is what I'll say. Pixies don't always hit. And this album isn't a flawless album. I can openly say that. There's a lot of, there's a couple of misses on this album. But even their misses, quote unquote, like Dead and Monkey Gone to Heaven, mm-hmm. they're kind of interesting in that they stretch traditional songwriting and they stretch things. They might not be like all that pleasant to listen to, but like Monkey Gone to Heaven has some weird lyrics that don't make sense. And he openly admits it doesn't make sense because he's a surrealist. He's influenced by that surrealism. And one of his quotes is says, songs can't just be one plus one equals two, you know? He says, mm-hmm. sometimes one plus one has to equal bran muffin, which I, I just think is a funny sentence. But I, I really appreciate, like, they're not always going to hit, but at least they're trying something. And this is, like, I think their second album for Pixies. They have no need to really diverge, but they're doing it anyway because they, they get bored, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What do you think what it is with, with Banalog? Because he's not doing anything. Is this just a thing of, like, oh, it's a number. It could be him. He's boring. <laughs> he just, right? I mean, he just doesn't want to experiment or see. He just, it's just out of it. Because at the time, it's 1989. I mean, the, you know, rap music is. We call it rap, quote unquote. But this is like Run DMC, you know. It's like it's like rap, you know. It's the no, old school. Yeah. I think NWA already put out an album at this. Oh yeah, point, I'm sure, sure Barry Manilow was really in tune with the Compton rap scene. Yeah, <laughs> okay, today, you know? sure. <laughs> you, I mean, you have rock music like and heavy metal like Guns N' Roses and Van Halen's been out at this time. ACDC. I mean, and you mentioned in pop. Madonna, who's like the biggest? George Michael was probably the biggest mm, male, like male pop star. Pop star I mean, Prince, time. MJ. Prince, yeah, Michael Jackson. Honestly, this doesn't sound like the 1980s, does it? It sounds like... He's he's at least like 15 years out of date, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If, if it wasn't for that shitty fucking synthesizer keyboard, I mm. wouldn't. you wouldn't be able to tell. Right, right, yeah, exactly. Pixies come through with Mr. Greaves. And Crackity Jones. Mr. Greaves, I, for some reason, when I first downloaded it, it's so, like, cheery, the song. The, the tone is very cheery, I would say, mm-hmm. and, like, happy and, like, hopped up. I really liked this song when I was a kid, when I first downloaded it illegally off LimeWire. Mm. And, of course, my favorite thing in music, in media, my favorite thing in media, they say the name of the album in the song. Okay. And it's not, like, it's not the title of a track. It's just they, they mention the name of the album in the song. I fucking love that. Pedro... You know how much I love when they say the name of the movie in the movie. Yes. In fact, my three favorite movies of all time all do this exact thing. I only have four words for you. White men can't jump. Could you tell me your name? Don't fire. I beg your pardon? Don't fire, dear? Mrs. Don't fire. Is there a problem, officer? No problem. Just rush hour. They say the name of the title yeah. in every single one. I love that. 
So I also love that. And I'm, it's a shame Barry Manilow didn't mention the term Barry Manilow or self-titled in, in any of his songs. Mm. Uh, and then you've got Crackety Jones, a, a much more violent, punky song, but there's a backstory to it. This, this is a song written by Black Francis about an old college roommate of his, and he had mental health issues. And he says, looking back, uh, he didn't really deal with it well. Now he had more patience, but when he was young... And you're living with someone so close and they're dealing with mental health issues, whatever it may have been, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sort of freaked him out and he was, he was worried something was going to happen. One of, the, one of the stanzas reads, you need these walls for your own. I'm moving out of this hospitage, which I think is that hospital or something in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm afraid you'll cut me, boy. So he was like mm-hmm. living in fear that you've got this unstable, maybe schizophrenic roommate or someone that's having a breakdown. You're worried that they're going to hurt you. And then the music sort of suits this this theme. So much more interesting than anything Parimanolo has ever written about. Mr. Greaves, I thought it, like the way it opens up, I thought it was dope. I really liked the sound. Um, and I thought it was one of the standout tracks um, with Crackety Jones. Yeah, I read that uh, backstory as well. And I thought it was um, super interesting. I mean, we all had kind of a roommate like that. More, I mean, you know what? It's funny. After I read that, I thought about you, uh, uh, Judd, because I know that you... Uh, have uh, a slew of roommates in, in your past. <laughs> We've had a slew of yeah. interesting roommates, correct? So I was yeah. thinking, like, have you ever been through anything like this? If anything, you 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 you've, you might write a song that says, I don't know, call it Junkie James or something like that. Cause... <laughs> Pedro, that's a uh, that's another podcast we're going to do. That's uh, <laughs> that's when albums collide after dark, my friend. <laughs> uh, okay, so this is this is what I'm getting at with this, though, right? So that's an interesting story. Like, oh, a roommate who's unstable and I feel unsafe. I'm going to write it, and the music is like very violent and frantic and frenetic. I think it's a problem more with pop as a genre where it is constrained because pop, popular music, to get popular, you have to be sort of a little bit safe. Is that mm-hmm. fair? Uh, I don't know. I'm a little bit safe because there's pop mu- There's pop tracks that aren't, I don't know, that they don't necessarily follow a formula or something like that. We, pop we... in 1989. 1989. I will say yeah. this, like whether Like a Prayer is about a blowjob or Ben Folds 5's Brick is about an abortion, you can never okay. get into darker subjects or adult themes in pop without dressing it up in like a convoluted metaphor that kids listening on the radio won't okay. pick up. So Pixies, because they're not popular music, they're alternative rock radio, they can't get on us any of all, they can do these harsh songs about mental illness and turn around, and then the next song will be really silly about a monkey going to heaven or something. Barry is really locked into these lovey-dovey ballads because he wants to keep his audience, and as he said, he's fine with doing this middle-of-the-road um, shit, I guess is what I would call mm-hmm. And he said, oh, this is my thing and I do it. The most he ever pushed it, ironically, was in Copacabana which we mentioned mm-hmm. yes. in Van Halen episode 1984, episode 22. Yes. It's about this faded showgirl and her boyfriend gets killed and she ends up singing at the same club and she never moves on. She becomes this faded starlet. That's an mm-hmm. interesting thing. And what do you know? It was actually a huge hit because it was actually interesting. Why mm. he didn't delve more into more interesting themes, I have no idea because it was your biggest hit, bro. Why are you going back to singing all these sappy boring ballads but i like that and i think it's, it's a constraint that pixies aren't bound by so they can push it way further than barry can barry is just stuck on this album yeah yeah for sure yeah and i listened to that song coco uh coco coco cabana uh during during this uh week and i was surprised to to hear that um it had such like dark lyrics to it because i always thought it was just kind of like a like margaritaville you know what i mean kind of just like oh it's about drinking and being some like spanish theme club or some shit like that but yeah it was interesting to that it was in that subject matter 
I would say with the Pixies, they are in a different different realm. I think I think it kind of lends itself to being a little more flexible with that. But not that Barry couldn't do it. He just he just I don't know. I think he's just kind of maybe playing it safe or because I mean I think he's a big enough star where he can try to do something out of the box or something that's different from what he he's normally doing you know if anything you gotta give the pixies a little more admiration because this is their second album right it's always that sophomore slump they can really fuck it up on this time this time around if um if um the audience doesn't respond to it um and then in a song like hey um i thought that was the most laid back track on the album they said they called it their only r&b song with a three chord Mm. turnaround it's like a slow jam r&b song which i've never thought of it like that before but I really, Hey is a is a fantastic song. But I, I particularly like Silver um, because, I know it sounds weird, but I, I thought it could be like in a Quentin Tarantino movie. It just it, the guitars, it sounds like it sounds like something that was playing at the end of uh, Red Dead Redemption. Did you get that vibe, like a Western cowboy kind of feel to it? I didn't, but I will re-listen and try to think about it. All right. Maybe that's just me being weird, but I definitely got like spaghetti Western kind of feel from that from that song. Barry Manilow, we have My Moonlight Memories of You. This is a swingy, old-timey vibe. I think he's going for Sinatra here. Mm. It's not bad. It's, like every single song on this album, inoffensive. The arrangement is much more traditional, I think, uh, with some strings, bass, drum, and actual piano. Way more classic. It is, it's It's one of the better tracks on the album, though. Yeah, it's one of the better tracks. Um but I definitely, maybe it was like the buildup of it. it just kept reminding me of, of of his classic Mandy. And for some reason, I kept picturing back to like just songs that could be in movies. I thought this could be well served in some Austin Powers montage sequence um, where, you know, he's the scene where he like broke up with his girlfriend or whoever he's supposed to be dating in the movie and he's just walking down the streets and this song is playing in the background the next song for barry anyone can do the heartbreak yeah apparently it's like uh, his rock song or something well according to spotify this is the least listened to song on the album oh man sixteen thousand listens which is about how how many people buy a kevin federline album yeah that's bad yeah that the music is reminiscent i would say of like a hall and oats b-side it's like Mm. sort of funky electronic intro but Manilow's vocals on this are especially nasally and mm. gross here i really couldn't i couldn't stand this album i yeah, got well, i couldn't stand this i couldn't stand this album i couldn't stand, stand the song <laughs> i got like two minutes in i'm like that'll do me yeah it's interesting the way and i listen in particular with, with this song in particular so there's something with the mix it's super polished because this is actually a cover of a song that was written by Amanda McBroom and it was performed by this lady named Anne Murray. Their version of the song, I believe, came out two years prior to this album. And when you listen to Anne Murray's version, it sounds a little more, I don't know, like on vinyl or like a little, I want to say grungy, but it sounds like, like a lot more warmth to it. lot more polish but it doesn't 
add to it in a complimentary way. His 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 vocals are very nasally. It's just uh, it's it, it, it's not as charming as the original one. And I was wondering if that was because it's 1989. I'm wondering if there was the advancement in technology and recording equipment that made the song sound uh, uh, so polished during the mix. So yeah, it, it songs songs lame. But I think the next song, <laughs> songs lame. The next song takes the cake man a little traveling music please a little traveling music please yes okay now this is the first and only song where the music was composed by barry manilow the lyrics weren't lyrics were bruce usman and jack feldman the opening notes of this song i thought holy shit are we in the shire dude that's exactly what i put down is lord of the rings yes note for note yo now obviously Obviously, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, was released in 2001. Howard Shaw did the, did the score. Did he borrow from Barry Manilow? Yo, as soon as I heard this, I put, yo, this shit starts off like a harmonic version of the Shire theme from Lord of the Rings. And I actually actually had to uh, go back and listen to the Lord of the Rings uh, that opening scene just to make sure I wasn't crazy. You know what I mean? Because I was like, am I tripping? But I listened to it. I was like, no, this motherfucker. Very similar. Yeah, it's so crazy. And then it turns into this upbeat melody. Oh, you know, man, it launches into this like Joe Jackson 1980s yeah. stepping out sort yeah. of yeah. riff. <laughs> on the It's fucking the hardest left turn we have seen on this podcast. It's yeah, wild. It's- I laughed out loud. Seriously, I had a laugh laugh out loud moment when I was listening. And this is the crazy thing to to me about it. So you mentioned like the the one of the songwriters, or this is the main songwriter, Jack Feldman, right? Um, this dude was nominated multiple times at the Razzies. Are you familiar with the Razzies? Yes, uh, one of my favorite films of all time, Showgirls, uh, uh. was nominated <laughs> seven times at the Razzies. Yes, yes, definitely classic. Um, yeah, for anyone that doesn't know, the Razzies or the Raspberry Awards are basically awards. It's like the anti-Oscars. So you know, the Oscars have the best picture, best original song, where the Razzies do the worst picture of the year, worst original song. And this dude who wrote Jack Feldman, uh, who wrote a little traveling music, please actually was nominated several times and won several times for worst original song um for um actually like a bunch of um like ballads or some or some shit that he did Not, yeah he was nominated and won in 1992 um for a song that he did with um Alan Menken which is crazy because Alan Menken is a Disney legend he like went on to write songs like Under the Sea Beauty and the Bees and Whole New World so his career was fine after he you know, ended it with Jack. Um, and then uh, Jack Feldman was nominated and won uh, for Worst Original Song again in 1995 for a song that he wrote with Mr. Barry Manilow. <laughs> so uh, 
it's not doing anyone any favors, you know? Man, it just this this blew my mind. And the fact that it was the closer was Yes. Man. That is crazy. That is crazy. I wouldn't get kind of forgiven it if it was a little bit further up because you kind of forget about it, right? But like you're ending the the album with this as if it's like <laughs> as if it's your trump one. card. Like yeah, it's like oh man, this is. I'll tell you. I'll tell you how you do it. You end it like the Pixies did it with "Gouge Away." Now "Gouge Away" for me personally is one of their one of their best songs that they've written. And the reason I know I said I have a connection to it because I didn't even hear this version first. The first version I heard was by Papa Roach, mm. which is like an emo pop punk band. And they did a gouge away, which sounds kind of different to, to this. Away. You can gouge away and stay all day if you want to. Maybe less soulful. And then I discovered the original. I'm like, oh man, the original fucking kicks ass. So it's like as if, you know, what's your favorite song, Pedro? Ever? Um, my favorite song ever. Oof. That's a tough one. I'm just I'm just gonna throw something out. I, it's a song I like. Kiss by Prince. I love that song. Kiss, yeah. Imagine if the first time you ever heard Kiss, it was actually a cover by Limp Biscuit. Is okay. is imagine if that, and then you discovered the actual Kiss, you'd be like, "Oh my god, this is so much better." Yeah. Well, you know what? Is is a I got I got that beat. I I, I love Faith, which Limp Biscuit has covered, and I think <laughs> Faith true. by George Michael is a lot better. Yeah, exactly right. Or behind blue eyes, or something. Yeah. Uh, so I really like Gouge Away. And uh, did you look at you look at live performance of this? It's like a really the the title of the YouTube video is Gouge Away Pixies in brackets exceptional performance. Mm. And it's just like you know they're they're older and like Francis is a lot fatter and they're just singing and it's man it's it's really cool. So I really like the song and it's a great closer to the album. It, it wasn't necessarily I didn't like it as much as you were uh, just uh, express yourself to. But um, a great way to, to finish the record. Pedro, I think it's time we take it to the breakdown. So clearly, although Barry Manilow was exceedingly popular, this album was not popular. It happened to reach gold just on name value alone. And until the mm. coronavirus struck, as, as you mentioned a little bit earlier, and it saw a resurgence it wasn't it wasn't really that successful at all right whereas pixies besides the fact that here comes your man and monkey's gone to heaven is actually would actually chart successes as well as debaser and everything uh this has been voted as one of the greatest albums of all time and has, has gone platinum as of 2018 why do you think doolittle by pixies succeeded and barry manilow's 1989 self-titled album came out two weeks later. Why didn't it succeed? Mm, um, well, with Doolittle, I think that it's an um, innovative record, doing something that was cutting edge, that would be... Um, yeah, I was thinking imitated, but... Yeah, People paid homage to it, sort of. Yeah, or... that's even a, that's a better way. I mean, because you, you were going to bring up that David Bowie uh, video. Especially... And uh, the, the, the reason I, I sent that video to you, and I thought it was um, extraordinary about that, is like this guy is David Bowie, who's... On top of his game, obviously one of the most famous and most successful musicians, artists ever. And he was able to recognize that in them very quickly, where a lot of times a band 
that is doing something new, something innovative, it, it, it might take a while before they um, get recognized for that. All these things added to it. Um, the fact that they weren't afraid to, they have range. They can do the kind of experimental, somewhat po- uh, a punk kind of vibe, but they can pull out a song that's really poppy, you know, if they wanted to, but they don't have to, to be successful or get recognized. So I think all these things added to it. Why do you think Barry didn't, just didn't have the roaring success maybe that that we expected? Man, this album's really bland. I mean, yeah. 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 <laughs> this album's really bland. It's really bland. If it's, if it's sold any records, it was probably because the, the fan of Lowe's went out and wanted to hear what their, their man was going to be talking about. But I take into consideration everything else that's been coming out during that year. This is 1989. You got gangster rap on the rise. You got heavy metal with uh, like glam rock, big powerful ballads. And I mean, not that people don't want to listen to ballads. I mean, people like bands like White Snake and like Warrant were doing ballads, being successful with it. But uh, it's just like, it's just like, he's like Captain America. It's just a guy out of his time <laughs> you know he just he's just um... bro you took the words out of my mouth he's out of touch he's out yeah. of time i'm out of my head when you're not around Here, here's the thing barry manilow is past his use by date at this point and unlike other songstresses other uh you know uh what do you call it? Uh, uh, other, other chanteuses around he can't adapt or he hasn't adapted to what's happening in the world around him and he's been left behind Meanwhile, I think Pixies were ahead of their time. I think they, like 1989 is way too early for Pixies to be making this sort of music. And I think you add 10 years, maybe even 15 years, you could release Doolittle and it would have way more success because culture had moved sort of past that. 1989, you're still sort of in glam rock mode, right? Like yeah. you're still sort of in hair metal mode. And, you know, and Nirvana's just coming through now. The recording process of Doolittle, the tragedy is that Black Francis and Kim Deal had a lot of differences. They were arguing all the time over creative issues and about how the album put together to the point where they did a tour for the album and they were too tired to even go to the after party for the tour because they were just sick of each other and just wanted to go home. Uh, so it's sort of this is the peak of of Pixies, and then they sort of petered out, you know. Um, but their legacy lives on in all the bands that were they influenced. Barry Manilow's legacy, this album's legacy. If there wasn't a fucking pandemic this year, this album would be buried in the sands of time. He should be thanking his fucking lucky stars. Some dude in Wuhan caught coronavirus because otherwise no one would be talking about any of these songs. Hey, you know, I was just thinking about we did an episode, uh, I think it's episode three, where we talk about Enya and I brought up the idea that she has something to do with <laughs> 9-11? 9-11, because as soon as 9-11 happened, her record shot up. By the way, by the way, you know I use that clip in like all the trailers I send out to other podcasts? Like, really? <laughs> everyone knows you're a 9-11 truther in regards to Enya now. Well, guess what? I have a new uh, uh, conspiracy theory. Um, <laughs> this dude Barry Manilow is uh, biting the heads off bats or creating coronavirus in a, in a Wuhan lab and then spreading it out so he can get his music out there. I can't deny it. You know, I can't disprove it, and that's yeah. all I'm going to say. I can't okay. disprove it. <laughs> all right. I, I did see Barry Manilow take a flight to Wuhan in early, early January 2020. That's yeah. all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. All right. All you, gonna say. You, you, you I can't disprove. 
Yeah, yeah you gotta nay. follow the money, man. Just follow the money. <laughs> Pedro, as always, I'd like to ask you to choose one song from each album that you would recommend people to listen to to get a vibe for each album, or perhaps your, your favorite songs. Oh, yeah. Um, hmm, okay. Well, I wouldn't say hmm, my favorite song. I would say... Well, off of Doolittle, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Tame. I did not expect you to pick Tame. I didn't yeah. think that was your kind of song. Where do you think I was gonna go with like one of the popular like Here Comes Your Man or Yeah, or like Hey or something, yeah. Yeah. No, but I'll pick Tame because I think it encapsulates everything what this album's about and other things that I was saying in um I guess the wrap up, you know, like it's very much now that I've listened to this album, this song really yeah i just think it's indicative of their style and what they got going on um and also i can see with the song that i can see that other bands are influenced by their sound um and then with manilo oh fuck i i mean the corniest a little traveling music please because take you on a journey to hobbiton where the yes. hobbits live <laughs> yes that i can't believe that and um i just think it's the lyrics are are really shitty so um <laughs> which is another uh it's just indicative of this album and a whole i'm gonna go with for do little mr greaves because it was my 13 year old self's favorite song and they say the name of the album in the song i cannot mm. underestimate how much i love them doing that and it has a real like cool opening to it and frenetic pace which i really love for barry manilow Oof. My friend, for Barry Manilow, I think I'm going to try a song that is not indicative of the album, but is it is a song that he can do sort of adroitly, which is My Moonlight Memories of You. It's an old they're trying he's trying to do like Frank Sinatra in a lounge. He's trying to do like a Tom Jones, maybe a bit of, uh, a a Joe Cocker like croon. Um I this is the best you're gonna get off this album. That's all you're gonna get. Otherwise, forget about it. It's a shit yeah. show. Pedro, that does it for another episode. By the way, folks, did you yes. know, not only do we have an Instagram, a, a Gmail, whenalbumscollide at gmail.com, uh, and whenalbumscollide on Instagram, but I am also no longer working weekends here in Melbourne, which means there'll be many more updates coming on the When Albums Collide podcast. We're going to have some guests coming up, very exciting, and more episodes more than once a month now that my schedule has reorganized. So we're looking forward to that, Pedro. Yes, yes. Looking forward to that. And um, yeah, everyone follow us on Instagram, all the socials. Keep listening um, and listen to more music. Looking forward to it. Bye. See you guys. Bye. I want you to tell me. Oh, I'm going to burp. Hang on. Let it out. Let it out. Now we Gucci.